peace, y'all. Have a couple quick corrections to make before we start this week's episode. I referred to our guest this week as an assistant professor at Kennesaw State University when she's an associate professor at Kennesaw State University. That's my bad. Also, we talked about Django Unchained, and I mentioned the Rick Ross song, The Devil is a Lie, when I was talking about 100 Black Coffins. Once again, my bad, my fault. Love y'all. Enjoy. What's good, y'all? My name is Dylan Green, and this is Real Notes, a space dedicated to blurring the cultural and artistic lines between rap and film. I'm here to chop it up with everyone from rappers and producers to journalists and video directors about their relationship to movies and how, if at all, film inspires their craft. My guest this week is Regina M. Bradley, a professor, author, and Southern hip-hop scholar from Albany, Georgia. We spoke about Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, the new Mortal Kombat movie, her love for all things martial arts, her relationship with the music of Outkast, their position as the blueprint for modern Southern rap, and excerpts from her latest book, Chronicling Stankonia, The Rise of the Hip-Hop South, available now via UNC Press. Come fuck with us. What's cracking, everybody? Welcome back. This is, I think, uh, what's this going to be, number 12? Yeah, this is number 12. Real Notes number 12. Um, my name is Dylan, Cinema Sci. I got a lot of names. Those are just two of them. Um, every guest on my show is special, but we got somebody, like, incredibly crazy fucking special on the show this week. <laughs> um, she's an assistant professor of English and African Diaspora Studies at Kennesaw State. She's an alumna of the Nasir Jones Hip Hop Fellowship Program at Harvard. She has a bachelor's in English, a master's in African American and African Diaspora Studies, and a PhD in African American Literature. She's the author of the fantastic book Chronicling Stangonia, The Rise of the Hip Hop South. And she's got this upcoming novel called Reluctant Ancestors. Like, we could just sit here and do the accolade shit all day. But we got Professor Regina Bradley in the place to be. So, hi, Gina. Thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. No, don't do that. We got shit to do. Okay. <laughs> we got we got, we got, got shit to do today. We, we ain't trying to go down the accolade thing. That shit is so weird. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I never get used to that. You would think. That I'm used to that by now, but I'm I'm not. How you doing? It's so good to see your face. I haven't seen you uh, since Tulsa. Yeah, it's been a whole year. And nah, like you've been busy. So like nah, like we you've had to we busy. had to like really we had to really roll this out for you. Like this is you 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 like yeah, like like I already told you, but this book is incredible. Like it Thank really you. gave Thank me so much on. perspective on all of this, just like on everything. But like uh, yeah, we're going to get into all of that, but I want to start this off the way I start off every conversation with everybody. Um, what's the first movie experience you can remember? First movie experience that I can remember. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Oh, wow. That's my, that's my very first. That's the one I can remember. Oh, it's either Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids or Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Mm. I remember they did like a little cartoon before they actually did the, you know. Yeah, so there was that. Um, so that's the that's the most memorable one that I can I can I can think of, uh, and I still love Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Believe it or not, <laughs> Who Framed Who Framed Roger Rabbit is an incredible movie. Like it's, it's almost it's... like perfection. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but yeah, that was my that was my jam. That's still that's still my jam. Right. Yeah. It's, it's it's one of those movies that like you really appreciate just for like how beautiful the animation is, and then you yeah. get older, and then you just realize you like, all the dirty jokes. You appreciate right. like. Oh. Yeah, but I think my I think my my first I thought I was grown because I got to go to the movies at night by myself movie was one of I mean like 
I'm pretty sure it was how to make an American quilt. I don't know what that is. <laughs> it was just like, it was just an opportunity for me and my friend to go to the movie when it was night out by ourselves. So we thought we were hella grown. I was like 11. You know, <laughs> like, can we go to this movie? What time the movie start? Seven. And they were like, yeah, okay. And I, you couldn't tell me shit. I was like, I am big grown, big grown. I have multiple movie moments. I'm sorry. I have I have a lot of movie moments that I can share. <laughs> oh, it's all good. I, I, I want to hear as many as you're willing to tell me. Like, <laughs> Okay, I got two more. I got two more. So uh went to go see Jurassic Park in, in theaters. Uh, was not ready for the T-Rex. Um, the whole shaking of the water thing. I wasn't, I wasn't ready for that. I wasn't ready for that. And then another movie I remember going to see is uh, Blade with my dad. My dad used to hit me on date nights. So like we go watch the movie or go play miniature golf or whatever. But like, you know, movie date nights were our thing. So we went to go see Blade. And I remember uh, my dad was like praying through the whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. <laughs> he, was a, he was a pastor, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, Dad, right. it's really necessary, you know what I mean? But how are you going to pray over Blade and then go take me to see Kings of Comedy? Oh, come on, son. <laughs> <laughs> Not even. <laughs> was, was that on the same night or was that on a different night? No, this was like later. This was like later. Okay. I remember my dad was crying. And then, like, of all things, he was crying laughing at Bernie Mac. I'm like, Dad, how you going to be saved? And you... Okay, but yeah, oh yeah, I always good times with movies. <laughs> Bernie, Bernie Mac did say praise God, so you know it, it, it is it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just remember he was crying laughing, I was crying laughing, and I'm then I'm like, wait a minute, Daddy, you supposed to be a preacher, preacher, preacher man. Oh. I was like, Daddy, how you gonna be a, a preacher man and you over here laughing like this to Bernie Mac? Like I don't understand. It was great. It was great. My dad, my dad had great taste in movies, man. We went to go see everything. We went to go see uh, all the first Blade. That was just dope. Like being able to see that in theaters. That was just super cool. We also walked out on movies that we didn't like. (laughs) (laughs) Like we went, I mean, you know, we went, we walked out on Van Helsing. Wow. The Hugh Jackman joint. Wow. That's a movie. Yeah, man, because it was like, it, it wasn't even my dad being super religious. It was just like, it was such a slow, we were like, what? Yeah, so that was, that was hilarious, is it, you know. That is hilarious. I mean, like, like, I saw that, I remember I saw that at, um, there was this theater in my hometown that's now a performance space. It used to be mm-hmm. like a really old movie theater. And I saw it with like two of my homies at the time. And like the theater hadn't really been renovated yet. So it was like, just like really dirty. So all I remember is like sitting in a dirty seat watching Hugh Jackman. He turned into a werewolf and then bit Dracula at the end of the, that's the only part of the movie I remember. I forgot everything else. It's such a slow burn. I was like, daddy, are you bored? He was like, yeah, I'm bored. You ready to go? Yeah, let's go. Let's go get something to eat. (laughs) But it's like, I mean, like, I think the one thing that I miss about like old school going to the movies was the hunter was like the you know you had to go and hunt for for seats so it was like all right we need two of y'all to go and save seats you know what i'm saying because you didn't have the rsvp now you couldn't be like these are our seats and right no it was like you know it was like the hunger games in that motherfucker it was like okay we need somebody to volunteer as tribute because you never wanted to be in the front seats you always you know yeah, no, nah, right in the middle. In the back. Like my, my favorite place is all the like either like almost towards the back or all the way in the back. I need the whole screen. Like I'm not mm. trying to, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. It, it was a whole, it was a whole, you know, process. 
<laughs> yeah, I like the middle. I've, I've 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 always liked the middle the most. Like either like the middle or like the middle back. Like, yeah, I feel that. I feel that. I like that. I like that. But I mean, like, well, before the Pangea, this is you know before the Pangea. But I mean, like, how much right. different would how much different would 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 the game be for like Marvel movies if you if you couldn't reserve seats? Like, <laughs> 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 you hear about folks on like Media Takeout, World Star, right? Like, they shit and throw hands because they lost seats. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, show up with the barbecue and the tin foil, like people were about to do for Black Panther and shit. Yeah. <laughs> Black Panther too. I'm I'm ready. Like I'm already planning my outfit for the Friday night, for the Saturday night. Like you have to have different outfits, you know what I'm saying? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so shit, I'm ready. I was that wasn't it. That is probably one of the most powerful experiences that I've ever had is going to watch Black Panther on open night. That was just, it was like, it was all the black folks. We was like, we see each other. We clean. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And meanwhile, white folks was like, do, do we laugh? Can, can we laugh? Like, you don't even know what's going on. You don't even appreciate the, <laughs> the underlying cultural subtleties of a Ryan Coogler. <laughs> <laughs> nah. <laughs> nah, not the man who made Fruitvale Station. Um, I saw, um, I saw the movie with, uh, I saw Black Panther with my, I saw it with like, at least two people. It was Spence and Steve. Um, Spence is black. Steve is white. It was, most of us are black because there were a couple. There were more people there, but mm-hmm. like, you know, it just it just it just meant something different. It just meant something different to me and Spence. Maybe Solomon was there too. Shout out to Spence and Solomon if they're listening. I can't remember, but like either way, like that was, you know, like that was a moment, and you could tell you could tell who the people were that it like really meant something to because like everybody liked it, but like you just like look around and people are. I was like, literally it, walking out the theater crying. Like, I was just like, this was some, you know, and then kind of knowing now what we, you know, knowing now what we didn't know then was what was going on with Chadwick Boseman. Like, it just hit right. totally. It just hit. Like, I, I haven't been able to watch it since he passed, but it's like really kind of thinking about, I mean, like, you know, he was legit, like, talking victory over death. He wasn't just being to yeah. child. He was talking about his own life and being able to do that yeah it was it was it was amazing like the, the scene with him and his dad on the ancestor plane always takes me out because i think about my own dad i lost my own dad at 20 you know what i mean mm. unexpectedly so it's like right. mm. i ain't ready every time like every time i watched it my husband was like you've seen this how many times i'm like Shh. <laughs> yeah. yeah that yeah that shit was hard to watch because like i saw it a bunch when it first came out but like that was hard to watch like because because like as soon as i as soon as i finished no, no. As soon as I found out that he passed, mm-hmm. like I let, like, like I let my girl know, like, yo, like I gotta go watch this movie real quick. Like, oh, I, 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 I needed, I needed to sit with it, and like, just and, and like considering that he had been fighting cancer from, I think for like three years, like from like right before that, mm-hmm. up until the Five Bloods, like he like really soldiered through and told no one, like that's crazy to me that he managed to like, like, like that's 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 legendary shit. I mean, like it was just you know I. Yeah, I I don't know what else to say about Chadwick Boseman. He was just he was special. That was, you know, because I'd be like, I'm ready to quit with a stomachache. I'm ready to quit with allergies. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, for him to be able to go through that and still and still be such a light in the world, you know what I'm saying? Is 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 something very uh, commendable. But um, yeah, it's like so. I I just can't watch his movies. I just it puts me in a place. You know what I'm saying? Um, but I'm going to. I'm going. Like I'm. Yeah, yeah. You just need time. You just need time. I need a little time. I need a little. You know, I need a little time. It's gonna be cool though. It's gonna be cool though. You know what's the sad part though? Like who else is gonna play all our? Who else is gonna play all our historical figures? Yo, like I made a like... joke. I was like, 
I mean, I made a joke a couple years ago before I really was taking Chadwick seriously. It was like, you know, he needs one more role and he'll have all five Infinity Stones for major Black figures. Yeah. (laughs) He played Jackie Robinson. He's played James Brown. He played, you know, T'Challa's fiction, but we don't care. That's that's us right right there, T'Challa. You know what I'm saying? Um, Thurgood Marshall. Marshall, I mean, the only thing, he only needed one more. He only needed one, one more major biopic was uh um was his character from ma rainey's black bottom a real person or was that just a character i think it was just a character but i mean like i know that august wilson uh did a lot of research for his century cycle stuff so i mean like ma rainey is real you know right yeah 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 i mean like it's just wow just wow it it, it still doesn't feel real like 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 when you brought it up like i forgot (laughs) it feels like it hasn't only been a year like it feels longer than that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, yeah. it still hasn't been a year. Like, because he died in August 2020, right? Like he died in August of last year, and then we're not even crazy. Yeah. Like and like and like I forgot <laughs> and I forgot until you told me. Like it. Like I was almost like, yeah, he's like still around, but nah, he's he's no, he's he's not still around. Like <laughs> it just blew my mind. Wow. And I, mm. <laughs> so I feel like I feel like we kind of already been over this but i guess i'll ask again like do you have a specific movie that kind of made you fall in love with the idea of movies Ooh. um are we talking are we talking live action because i have different answers um, A- any anything like w- whichever one first comes to mind okay um well, i ain't gonna lie one of my favorite movies of all time is the lion king that's my that's my shit that's the uh, first movie i ever saw i feel it Oh, snooker. Um, no, that's no, that's like my that's my shit. I know it. You can put it on whatever part of the movie. I'll be able to do it verbatim. Like for real, it's just like that's my that's my that's my jam. Uh, live. I don't know. I gotta think about it because I I love so many movies. <laughs> um, <laughs> man, I'm gonna go. Okay, so is it was a movie I shouldn't have watched because I was too young to watch it. But you know how kids do, man. Sometimes we get lucky. Mm-hmm. And we get, so my de- my papa was a huge martial arts fan, right? Um, so before church, we would watch Bloodsport. Ah, classic. John Claude Van Damme. Bloodsport is my jam too, man. Like that's you know it's yeah yeah Bloodsport was it. I was just like that that made me a permanent action movie fan. Like I was like oh my god, right? Uh, Terminator <laughs> Two also comes to mind. T Two Judgment Day. Hmm. Yeah, that was that was a jam. So I, mm-hmm. I've been a blurred for a long time. I don't know if y'all. <laughs> nah, <laughs> you're among family right now. Yeah, like the one, the one part, of, the one part of Bloodsport I remember more than any other is um, I think it's Bloodsport, the part where he's like doing the split in yeah. front of like the uh, in, in, yeah! in front of the skyline. Yeah, I'm like, even, I'm, I'm scary. I'm scary. What about you know move wrong or the wind blow me wrong and then you out here on a full out split like you can't go nowhere on an edge no less like not even not 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 even like on like secure ground he's like just like on the edge like yeah that was a great shot though like that was a great shot of the yeah that was dope though that was dope. yeah I want I want to I want to know who thought of that because like I don't think Van Dam thought of that somebody was like nah you got to go do that like who who who, who did that. <laughs> I don't know, man, but I knew for a long time Jean Claude Van Damme was like my favorite actor after Blood's part. I was like, Jean Claude Van Damme could do no wrong. Well, he, he has it. Oh, I, I, I didn't. Mean... 
I didn't mean to cut you off. What'd you say? No, no, I, I was like, I was like, you know, I was like, Jean-Claude Van Damme can do no wrong. You know what I mean? I was like, I love him in Double Dragon. I love him in Street yeah. Fighter, horrible ass Street Fighter. But I mean, yeah. you know what I'm saying? It's, I didn't care. I didn't care. But it all started with Bloodsport. Bloodsport is still my shit. I will still watch it. If, if, I, if I see it on TV, I'm like, all right, I need to stop everything I'm doing and yeah, yeah watch Frank Dukes. <laughs> now, that's the movie, honestly. And like, and like you just reminded me of Street Fighter. He was Guile in Street Fighter, right? Yeah, he was Guile okay. in Street Fighter. And, you know, Rod, uh, Rod, Raul Julia was, was, I think that was his last movie. That, that was his very was last great. movie, yep. He was great in it. I mean, like, it was a horrible ass movie, but I still, and I was gaming at the time, so it was like, of course right. I'm going to mostly Street yeah. Fighter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you? Um, did you ever get the chance to play the uh like the Street Fighter, the movie, the game that was basically just like a bootleg Mortal Kombat? Yeah. That shit was that shit was ass. I don't even know how <laughs> I played it, but that shit was ass. <laughs> and I was like, mm, mm, okay. I mean, like it was kind of like, you know, when when I first watched the first Mortal Kombat and I was like, I love it. Cause I love the Mortal Kombat games. And then right. like the, the remake came out, and I'm like, shit, this is this is for the younger folks. Cause I'll be like, the the level of violence was more graphic, but I was like, it was cool. Like the the, the effects were cool. I just I was like, "Where's the where's the tournament at?" I, yeah, I, I, was, I, tournament. I was I was looking forward to that too. Honestly, like I really liked the new Mortal Kombat, but it would have been nice to have like an actual tournament. But like you know, like there was a lot of like there were a lot more Easter eggs in it, and uh, mm-hmm. just like just like mm-hmm. see seeing reptile like show like yeah. like seeing reptile portrayed so well. I and wish it was Sub-Zero. in the movie more. And Sub Zero. Mm. And so, really yeah, like, I really enjoyed it. Like that was, I mean, like I'm, I'm really thankful that we have like advanced in, in like CGI and, and you know, special movie effects. But I mean, yeah, like yeah, you yeah. know, it's still dope. I still love Robin Shu. You know what I'm saying? Is is Luke? He's still gonna be the guy. You know what I'm saying? So there's right, there's- right. <laughs> <laughs> Before we move on, my favorite part of the new movie was uh like Kano and the new guy whose name I don't remember. Like they were like training and he and and uh the new guy kept doing the leg sweep like everyone always does in the game, and then Kano's yeah. just like Kano's like, damn, is that the only move you know? Like <laughs> they knew exactly what the fuck they were doing with that shit. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean I thought it was, you know, uh what's dude with the hat? Um uh Kun Lao. Yeah, that that was pretty cool. I mean, like, cause I saw the hat and I was like, oh shit! Like, that's, I think that was like maybe like one of the last times I actually, for real, for real, was invested in playing Mortal Kombat. Yeah, I was like, do the hat thing. Mm. He did it, <laughs> and then he dragged them over. I was like, ah, oh, cause like that was the one I wanted too. And then he said, flawless victory. I was like, this movie is made for me, son. Like, I don't give a fuck. Like, this is amazing. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, Mortal Kombat, Mortal Kombat at the height of its glory in like the mid 1990s. You know what I mean? You were just like. Right. Yep. This is this is this is my movie. Like, I mean, I enjoyed it. I mean, I wasn't I wasn't expecting it to be no, you know, Citizen Kane or no shit like that. I mean, right? Yeah, yeah. Or even like Game of Thrones. Like, I wasn't going in expecting like you know them talking about like the complicated politics of Earthrealm. Like, fuck it. I just want to see people get their heads blown up. Like, nah. Like, come on. Like, you gonna get the you gonna get this politicization, and then we are gonna give you you know one or two fight scenes. That's it. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, that was that was pretty that was pretty dope. I mean, like if they if they do the the origin story, like I know there's rumor, you know, street committees like they might do an origin story for Sub Zero. I'm, I'm I'm all in. I'm all in for that shit. That's dope. Yeah, they they got him signed up for like, I think like four more movies or something like that. So I'm. I'm oh, they're in. really trying to like extend, like trying to make a like a remake of the franchise. Oh, that's dope. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, I'm, I'm still going to watch. I'm going to watch that shit. I'm going to watch that yeah, shit. I'm all about it, especially if I can watch it. Like, uh, I mean, like, like, that's one movie I wanted to see in the theater. I'm so mad I couldn't oh, see that yeah. in the theater. That and King Kong and Godzilla. Like, I'm so mad that I had to watch I that I didn't know what home. the fuck was going on with, with Kong versus Godzilla, but I was like, you know what? I'm here for this. <laughs> yeah. That shit made no type of sense. Like, <laughs> it was like two different movies happening at the same time. It was like, yeah. okay, so we have like, well, how are we going to overlap this? You know what I mean? You got the whole Godzilla thing going on. You got the whole Kong thing going on. Yeah. <laughs> what are we going to do? <laughs> and like and like and like much love to Brian Tyree Henry and Millie Bobby Brown. But I'm like, ready for him in the Eternals. Me too. Me too. Like, like, like to see him do like a full-blown action movie is gonna be a lot of fun. But like his shit in Kong and Godzilla, like their whole plot line made like it 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 didn't matter. Like they were only they were <laughs> only there to explain plot elements to people. Like it's like they're the ones who find Mecha Godzilla. And like I and like as soon as I saw them look up and the one of them said it, I was like, oh. They're just here to just like let us know. I mean, like, cool, Mecha Godzilla's here, but mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. but like, why are they here otherwise? Like, they're just like plot devices. Like, mm-hmm. come on, like y'all didn't even try. Like, <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> yeah, but I'm glad he getting that Marvel check though. So I'm hoping yeah, that same. Be, you know, yeah, Brian Tyree Henry is severely underappreciated. I can't wait to see him in Atlanta. Hopefully, they will Ugh. finish filming soon. And you know, I know this is I know this is about movies, but I have to ask you. I have to ask you because like as a kid. Martial arts was like my shit. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. I couldn't do them. Like I, could, I couldn't do them because, you know, my grandparents was like, that ain't ladylike, whatever the fuck that means. But Jeez. Um, martial arts films was my shit, right? So uh, Bruce Lee, I love Bruce Lee, like Enter the Dragon and, you know, Dragon the Bruce Lee story just sit in a particular place in my heart. But how did you feel about Warrior? I still haven't watched it. Oh, oh no. come I've on. Seen, hang on, hang on. Dude, I saw one episode. People have been screaming at me oh to watch Warrior. I really you have to watch it before it comes back because it's it's coming back. Thank God, it's coming back. But you need you need to see this shit. You need nah. to. Yeah, it's fire. It is so fire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not nah, nah. like like I saw an episode and I was like, nah. I like like <laughs> I'm on this. I'm on this as soon as I have time. Like I'm watching like three other shows right now. I got to finish those. Like, like I barely even have time to like look at my eyelids when I close them. So like, it's, oh, it's, it's just, <laughs> but like, but, but like for anyone listening, who's not aware, like talk about warrior, because like, that's a show that like people have been telling me about, but like put people on real quick, man. All right. So Pete gang. So this was a TV show that Bruce Lee was conceptualizing for him to star in, because, you know, if you're at all familiar with Bruce Lee's story, he, he talks about how he was often overlooked and, or he was, you know, typecast in, in Hollywood or whatever. And he was like, I want to do me. You know what I mean? So Warrior was kind of like from his, is a brainchild of his and his daughter um, brought it to life, so to speak. So um, it's basically talking about uh, China, it's like Chinese gang wars in San Francisco, like pre, you know, early 20th century, like right after industrialism. And I mean, like it doesn't shy away from nothing, right? Like you have, you have, you know, all of the offensive stereotypical language in it and you have all the fight scenes in it. But I think one of the most amazing things about that show is that the, like the code switching that happens, so to speak. Like it's kind of like, you know, how how we how we see uh, Chinese immigrants, so to speak, versus right. how they actually speak. You know what I'm saying? It, it was just like, you know, you kind of see that, like that transition. It's amazing. It's amazing how they did it. It was like, it sounds like plain English to us, right? Because it's, it's, it's recorded in English. But then it's like, right. when they're speaking, when they're speaking their native languages, it's even better. But it's like, you also see like it, you know, if you if you can't speak their native languages because English is them speaking Chinese. Like that's the, that's the thing that folks don't get. 
Right. Right. Um, but then they they speak this. Uh, I hate to say it like this, but broke broken. I'm using air quotes here. Oh, right. like broken, broken, <laughs> broken English to speak to uh, native English speakers, and then like they go back to their native. It's, it's it's amazing. Like you have to go see the shit. Just it's a, it's great. It's great. I mean, like you know, it 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 challenges a lot of a lot of ideas about race and class, and and you know, and I think putting that in conversation with what's going on with um, the increasing violence against you know Asian communities as of late. Uh, right. you know, it's not like all of this shit just came out of nowhere. You know what I mean? Like it's it's historical. You know what I mean? So yeah, if you get a chance, yo, just it's all the things. Like I binge watched that thing in like two days. Wow. No, I'm on it. That's not yeah, like, like that sounds like everything I want to see right now. And like, and like it's always crazy to see how shows like that just kind of come full circle and like inform moments, like right when they're like coming out and shit. Like it's mm-hmm. it's it's really it's really like it's it gets insightful but it's also kind of scary like it's 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 not exactly the same but like right when the pandemic was like really starting to get crazy mm-hmm. uh i started watching the strain the fx show with like the no, vampire I okay like, I, I, I couldn't do it i couldn't <laughs> like it was it was it was really like looking in a mirror like just like watching how people couldn't like watching how it spread and watching people not take it seriously i was like wow like it's really like they saw into the future because it's shit from like 2013 She's almost yeah. 10 years old. And like, yeah. it, 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 it really was like, it was happening right now. So like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just, it's like, and, and I still haven't finished it. Like, but like, it was such a head bust just like watching that shit happen the way it did. And like, I want to finish it at some point, but <laughs> like, I, I, I just needed to step away. Like, all right, this is a little too real right now, even with the vampires. And like, now there's like a cabal of like vampires who like, don't like the other ones and they like have it's it's getting complicated so i just need to like give my brain a break for a second like <laughs> i love it i love it yeah so um so to transition just a bit um when did you like so like when did you like or let me rephrase that mm-hmm. so when you start so like when you start kind of like recognizing film as film and you kind of have this base already like when did you first start falling in love with music <gasps> Ooh, way before that. <laughs> I thought so. I thought um, so. I first fell in love with music for real when I was five and I heard Michael Jackson's Bad album. Mm, good start. Yeah, it was, you know, because uh, I was part of that generation where, you know, on Saturday nights, my folks turned off the TV and put on the radio station or just put on albums and we just laughed and danced and listened to music all night. You know what I'm saying? So, um but the Michael Jackson Bad album. And I remember, you know, shout out to my cousin Amber. You know what I'm saying? We would have these dance battles. You know what I'm saying? Like, who's ah. bad? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, but I mean, you know, there there was that. Um, and, and you know, bringing my dad back into the mix. You know, my dad and my stepdad. Um, my dad was a huge music fan. You know, he was, he was in the Navy, so he's a military dude. You know what I mean? So he was exposed to a little bit of everything. So, of course, he exposed his daughter to a little bit of everything. So I'm talking about, like, Isley Brothers would be on and then War would come on and then, you know, Kraftwerk would come on. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, Kraftwerk, mm. like, you know, like Kraftwerk <laughs> would come on. You know what I mean? And my dad was like, if it's good music, it's good music. You know what I'm saying? So I, I really came to appreciate that. And then, you know, being a 90s baby, so to speak, you know, I went through my little rock phase a little bit. You know what I'm saying? So it was mm-hmm. it was that. Um, but what was interesting, though, was like, you know, folks were like, oh, she's a hip hop scholar. But I don't feel like I really got into hip-hop like that until college to be honest with you I was an R&B fan before that I mean I'm still an R&B fan but I mean like if right I, 
when I, when I looked at my CD book, you know what I mean? Like the majority of the stuff in there was, was R&B. Uh, and I was like, oh, I mean, of course you had like, you know, of course I had the outcast there. And it, you know, I had them in there, but that wasn't where my, I was an R&B soul in the hip hop world. <laughs> right. Nah. And that's cool. Like, yeah, because, yeah, because like for me growing up, like I kind of, I kind of followed like a similar trajectory. Like I've kind of like, I've like really been into rap since I was about nine. When I okay. first got um when I first got Bow Wow's Beware a Dog, but like my father was also like like um um my father's seventy he's just he just turned seventy six so he's oh, like okay. so, he, so like he's from like he's like very old school so like he yeah. kind of like he put me on to a lot of like doo-wop and R and B but yeah. he also but like he also really loved like everything modern like he was like he was like always. He was just on everything. Like he played a lot of he played a lot of Eric Benet, a lot of Brandy, a lot of Destiny's Child. Like he like mm-hmm. so 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 it was just like a really like a big melange of influences from him. And then my and then he would play a little bit of rock here and there. But my mom was really the one who was like really into like Aerosmith and like Sting oh, yeah, isn't really Queen and all those. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, like St- Sting isn't really rock, but my mom loved the album "Brand New Day" I by Sting. I think that like Sting is low key black people's favorite. Because <laughs> I mean, like, but Sting is dope though. Like, I, you know what I'm saying? Is Sting slap? Um, but it's, it's yeah, it's you know, and like I would I would laugh at my dad trying to do hip hop. Like my dad loved hip hop too. You know what I'm saying? Like I, yeah. you know, my dad really like money ate a thing. That was his jam. You know what I'm wow. saying? Like he would just, you know, be walking around the house singing that. But I mean, like my first for real memory of my dad listening to hip hop was MC Hammer's You Can't Touch This. And him trying to do the, you know, the, the really fast part that, that Hammer does, you know, from all around the world, from London to the Bay. Yeah, he, he tried to do it. He would like keep repeating it to learn it. And I was just like, okay, dad. But yeah, that was his jam. You can't touch this. <laughs> That's hilarious. You know what my dad's favorite rap song ever is? What? Fucking um, Outcast, So Fresh, So Clean. He sings that shit all <laughs> the time. Like, it should come on the radio. Like, you just hear him sing. Like, he'll just walk around the house and, like, sing it. It's it's mm-hmm. it's it's the cutest thing. Like, he he's, like, Outcast and Tupac are probably his two favorites. Like, oh, I love that. Oh, yeah. He, yeah. And, and, and he, was, he was a grown man when rap first started. So like he so like he's told me he's told me so many stories about like being there to see it start. Like I interviewed him, I, I interviewed him about it a couple of years ago for Father's Day and like the oh, story he, the one that you posted when you were talking to your dad about music. I read that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like like the story that always gets me is the one where he's just like in the Bronx and he just sees people breakdancing on the cardboard and he like he like and like he went to his friend and was like, yo, they're having seizures down there. Like somebody <laughs> go help them. And it's like, nah, like they're breakdancing, Marion. Like <laughs> that's that's what that is. And he's like, oh, okay. Like it's yeah. So like so so so, so like growing up and him having that perspective and giving it to me is just like the coolest thing in the world yeah man my same with my dad man I, i'm you know my dad passed in 2004 um right. but i mean like i really uh i really would give anything to know you know say kind of see him and talk to him about you know outcast and and, and the music because he was a huge funk fan so my so like right. it was like it made sense i was like you know he was like his favorite band was cameo and sos uh so it was like you know he also liked the gap band but it was just like you know thinking about how people in the south particularly southern artists would sample funk you know what i'm saying and soul was like oh no brainer you know what i mean so shout out to our dads man our dads with the good music taste you know what i'm saying (laughs) 
that shit is that shit is impeccable for real like um so like so like as you get older and you start you know like you start like developing your taste for both music and film like was there like like do you remember the time when you first consciously linked film and music together in your head like was there a time waiting exhale soundtrack mm. what about that did it for you babyface babyface has been one of my favorite artists since the beginning of time. Um, I just, you know, the way it was perfection. Wait and Exhale soundtrack is perfection. You know what I'm saying? Um, and then when I, I mean, like, you know, at one point in time, it was like folks more excited about the soundtrack than they were about the film. You know, <laughs> they're like, oh, this, this movie is coming out. Yeah, that's cool. But who's on the soundtrack though? You know what I'm saying? But yeah, it's definitely Wait and Exhale. I was, I was just like, this is, this is kind of amazing. I think uh, the first soundtrack that I bought, the first film soundtrack that I bought was probably Sunset Park. I haven't seen Sunset Park, so I don't think I know. Yeah, I, I mean, like, I it, it was Sunset Park. So, like, Tupac was on there. Quasity DJs was on there. I mean, you know, it's, you know, it was, it was a time. And then again, I thought I was kind of grown because I bought it uh, and it had the parental advisory sticker on it. I thought I was doing big things you know what I'm saying so there's that um but I mean like you know in terms of you know a favorite that I had when I was a teenager um the best man soundtrack was amazing the wood soundtrack was amazing yeah wow both yeah yeah, Yeah. both those soundtracks are great now that I think about it Jesus yeah those were amazing um, and then, you know, what we talked about today, we, I know we have to talk about this. I don't think that Idlewild is an album. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I, w- I was going to ask you about this later, but yeah, I'm glad you brought it up now. Like, why don't, so, so tell me about that. Why don't you think it's an album? Tell me, tell so me why. Like, it's a hybrid, man. It, it, because you have sound clips from the movie on it. You have one or two new songs on there, like Mighty O and Morris Brown. And I think Idlewild Blue, which is probably one of the only songs that's directly connected to the film. You know what I'm saying? So and like, not even really at that, at, at that point too. Like it's only like, yeah, not like even kinda. At that point. it's like, the, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so there's that, you know what I'm saying? So I felt like it was like a little, I don't know. I don't know. But it is what it is. You know what I'm saying? Uh, when we talk about outcast albums, I don't necessarily include all. <laughs> See, that's, that's not fair. I love, I like, like, I'm coming from though it's like it, okay if you if you listen to the joint i mean like you get you get a whole lot of sound bites like a whole lot of sound bites I'm like, and if you think mm-hmm. about Idlewild, it was supposed to be music videos for speaker box and a love below right so it's like oh okay you know what i'm saying but you know i mean like the songs that are on there i like them you know what i mean but if i put them in conversation with the rest of their discography i'm kind of like hmm. <laughs> i'm I get sorry it. Alan, it's true I get it, but like, ah, oh, just, just like, just like considering how much I love the movie and like how. Great... Oh, I love the movie. I yeah. love the movie. I have a story like, about that too. Like, so, so, like, honestly, like, before we even get back into that, yeah, like, tell me, tell me about your first experience with Idlewild because I knew this was gonna come up because I know we both love this movie so much. Like, talk to me about your first time with this shit. Yeah. Okay. So uh, it was 2006. I had just graduated from the unsinkable Albany State. I was starting my master's program in Indiana. Um, and this was like August, September, I want to say of 06. Um, and I get there and it's like, you know, I'm expecting the movie theater to have the Idlewild movie. 
I'm like, okay. So, mm. <laughs> so I get there and I get to their little, I get to the little movie theater, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, yo, uh, are y'all showing Idlewild? And they were like, what's that? And I'm like, what? What do you mean, what's, what's that? that? <laughs> Idlewild, the Outcast movie. And they were like, oh, no, we're not, we're not doing that. Right. So this is 2006. So, no, there's no Ottawa. And I'm like, okay, I have to go to Indianapolis. I had never been to Indianapolis before that. You know what I mean? So I have to like drive to this brand new city. GPS was just starting to pop off to the point where my friend Quentin Blanton, shout out to Q, was like, I have this new thing <laughs> called GPS. And we're like, what the fuck is that? And they were like, <laughs> because before that, you know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm part of the MapQuest generation. I was about to say, y'all uh, niggas at MapQuest? <laughs> yeah, MapQuest, shit. The MapQuest generation. So it was like, oh, all right, then. So like, he has the he has the this very old school GPS that's like, you know, you have to turn here, here, whatever. So he has us running all over Indianapolis, right? Uh, we finally find a theater that is playing Idlewild. We haul ass to the the ticket counter because the movie started at seven. It's like seven ten, seven fifteen. So I'm like, okay, previews. We should be good. We should be good. We get there and they were like, oh, we just closed the doors. I was like, what? Oh, I was so mad. I was so mad. So my first time watching Out of Wild was actually on bootleg. Wow. So before before you tell me about that, how far away, how far away was Indianapolis from where you were? Because like that, that's a trip. Yeah, for a movie, it's a trip. that's a trip, yeah. but yeah. it's worth it. You know, like you, 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 you like really go the distance for shit. Like I was that committed really because, because uh, at the time, I mean, Idlewild Wild was a piece of home for me. Like I'm this, this Southern black girl that's, that's <laughs> in the Midwest. Uh, and Bloomington is, is really kind of just stripping away all my, my comfort, so to speak. You know what I mean? They had no goddamn Popeyes. They didn't have no urban radio station. It was Damn. like, you know what I'm saying? You know, and I'm like, y'all ain't even playing this move. Like, come on, something got to give. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> so being able to, I mean, like, you know, it's a memory now that we still laugh about, like being able to like go all over Indianapolis with my now husband, Roy, and, and our friend, Quentin, following his goddamn GPS that didn't know where the fuck it was going. Like, it was, we were like, this is not where we're supposed to be. Like, one time we ended up in a parking lot. I'm like, this is not, mm. what film, what, what movie theater do you see, sir? <laughs> so i mean yes it was fun it was fun but yeah Idlewild in indiana that's they are always connected in my head for the rest of my life <laughs> that's that's incredible so mm-hmm. talk to me about actually watching the movie for the first time on bootleg and like how you like just like like how did you feel about the movie when you first saw it i mean the whole time i was like <gasps> the whole time just the whole time um i loved it the very first time i watched it i was like you know what this was worth the wait you know <laughs> I was like, the GPS fiasco was worth it. Um, I mean, like, the music took me back to a certain place. You know what I'm saying? I was a sophomore when when Speaker Box and Love Below came out at Albany State. And it was also our centennial homecoming. So it was like the 100-year wow. anniversary. When no sleep had by nobody that week, right? And I'm Mm-mm. like, the only thing that you heard was Speaker Box and the Love Below that people were bumping. You know what I'm saying? So it took me, I mean, like, it was a nostalgic kind of thing for me. Um and then I just thought it was just really, I, I thought it was well done. Like, I, well done in the sense that, you know, I enjoyed it. I was engaged in it. Like, you know what I'm saying? Um, but just kind of just watching it and being like, yo, I'm like, there's, you know, I know we don't talk about this, but there was, there was a couple of scenes. I was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> um, but I loved it. I loved it. I watched it back to back the first time I watched it. I watched it. Wow. Time, and then I was like, oh, yep, run it back. Round two. Damn. Yeah. Wow. I saw I saw it in the theater when like it first came out. I forget what year. What year was it again? Was it? Oh, 
2006. Mm-hmm. I was I was just starting high school when oh. that and um I'm, 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 I saw it with my dad and his best friend at the time Julio oh, rest okay. in peace to Julio and um uh like I knew like like I, I was obsessed with outcast and particularly speaker box of love below at that point so like i was like i was the kid growing up who would like watch the movie trailers over and over and over again Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. like i um i had already memorized the last song the one with andre at the piano um yeah uh i forget what it's called now but yeah like I, i i like knew all the words at the end and like they're just looking at me like the fuck like how, how do you already know this like we're just seeing the movie for the first time i'm like i'm, I'm like I'm, I'm really been looking forward to this y'all like you you don't understand <laughs> and like and like and, and like watching it recently um it's it's still like to this day it's one of my favorite movies ever and like it really just like connected with me but like i didn't really think about the fact that like it's a jukebox musical yeah. like, like like i never put that because like i always think about those in like the context of like a of, of like a stage play or like a of like a stage musical but mm-hmm. like it really is you know something on the level of like mama mia or like uh that billy joel shit moving out like that it's it's just i can't really think of any other like black jukebox musical like that you know like they really like made it and and, and, and like they made it like cool and anachronistic and like the whole like it's, it, it like you know like it's the depression but they're playing rap and they're kind of incorporating the jazz like at that time I was like, wow, like I've never seen no shit like this before. And it just really hit me in my heart. Like, yeah, I mean, like, you know, I'm not expecting them to be like, oh, this was this was Oscar worthy. I mean, like, I felt like it was a love letter to fans, like diehard fans, you know, what definitely I'm we're still we're still doing this thing. Um, but I, I like that idea of like a jukebox, you know, kind of musical. I mean, it makes me think it made me think about scenes from The Color Purple. You know what I mean? When Suge is singing, uh, you know, at the juke joint. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it also made me think about, uh, in some instances, it made me think about the movie Harlem, the Lawrence Fishburne movie Harlem. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, yeah. Some, like the, the gangster aspects of it, you know what I mean? But I also think it was cool when I was researching for my book, um, what I didn't realize was that Ottawa was initially a uh, resort for, for rich Black folks in Michigan. See, I'm happy you brought, because I didn't know that until I read your book either. I didn't know Idlewild was like a real place. Yeah, I was That's like, crazy. I think about Idlewild, I mean, like, if you put the words, it was like Idlewild, it's like, you know what I'm saying? It's kind of like when folks think about the boondocks, like it's not a real place, you know what I'm saying? Right. Um, yeah. So to be able to kind of see that, I was like, oh, this is dope. And then again, it kind of just shows the genius of Outcast to be able to take a real place, because they did the show at Aliens. They took a real place, right. this Atlanta, made it Atlantis, and moved to the coast where Savannah is supposed to be. You know what I mean? So I mean, like, it's, it was it was light work to take Idlewild, which was in Michigan, and be like, "Fuck that, we're bringing it south to Georgia," and play with it like that. It was great, right? And mm-hmm. you could tell they had a you could tell they had a lot of creative control over it, and like and like the dance numbers are always so crazy. Like when they're like when they're in church and um um uh big boy walks out the bow tie pimp. I'm like, oh. <laughs> Like what a what a moment, son! Like just it's just like like and the there's one moment. Church. That's the one. I think that's the one. The one dance routine that stands out in my head. Because I'm like, you listen to the song, and then you listen to the breakdown on the film, and then that kind of takes over. It's kind of like them kind of hyping each other up, and you see Big Boy kind of running from the running from you know the bootleggers and everything. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm when they're driving the car and then he gets yeah. shot and he does a, he yeah. a little thing where like, like one of my favorite shots in the whole movie is the bit where he gets, um, uh, I think Terrence Howard shooting at him and like the camera, mm-hmm. 
goes from like the hole in the Bible and it just like kind of comes out and it's like looking at him as like big boys like flying through the door. Amazing. Like, yeah. like they really pulled out all the stops to make that shit look as like as cool as they possibly could have. And like, it's mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. Ugh, man, Idlewild is such a good movie, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's a beautifully shot movie. Like, you know, we usually talk about, and this is, this is something that I learned when I took my one or two film classes in college. So I'm no, no, by no means a film scholar, but I think the thing is just so fascinating is, you know, we think about a lot of folks think about film and I'm like, we really underappreciate the folks who do the cinematography. You know what I'm saying? Like the, you know, the way that, it's actually laid out, you know what I mean? Uh, right. We have all these conversations about Idlewild and we think about Outcast, 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 Cicely Tyson, you know what I'm saying? Uh, Macy Gray. Ving Rhames, yeah. I mean, like, you, Faison Love, like, you have you have some heavy hitters, you know what I mean? And even if they're, you know, but then it's like, but it like, Brian Barber, the way it was laid out, Brian Barber did that shit. Like, it was just, yeah. like, beautiful to watch and look at and hear like this the acoustics and the sonic elements of the movie are so so good yeah and like and 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 like another thing i think is really underappreciated is the fact that like a lot of people don't know how to like shoot black skin and that's like a and and that's like a problem a lot of people had especially like around like 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 really throughout all of film history but like it was it it had kind of started to I don't want to say like it had, to, it had started to be corrected, but like Idlewild was one of the first times I remember like watching a movie and being like, wow, like I can like actually like it's really well lit and I can like actually like because like you'll look at old photographs of like black people and they'll just they'll just look like blurs, mm-hmm. you know, and like here it was just like the like the light composition and like the way they aim the cameras is like I can actually like see them. And mm-hmm. it doesn't, and, and, and like, it doesn't look like they just like slathered them in a whole bunch of like makeup, you know, like it, I, I like, exactly. I, I, I appreciated that a lot. I don't know. I'm not feel you on that because I mean, like, it makes me think about Julie Dash and Daughters of the Dust, right? And, and mm-hmm. you know, it, for the folks who haven't watched it, I mean, like, it's, it's, it's really a great <laughs> film about uh, Gullah, Gullah folks who are coming to the mainland, right? Um, and just the way that it's shot, you know what I'm saying? It's, 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 you see, like you were saying, like you see the beauty of, of different skin tones. I mean, like Julie Dash in, in one of her interviews was like, I intentionally, you know, bought the most expensive film stock to make sure that I showed these people for who they are, like the beauty of these folks, right? Um, and then, you know, I don't know, I, I want to say it's right before the blow up of Ava DuVernay, you know what I'm saying? Because Ava DuVernay does the same thing, like the way that she makes sure that her black characters are seen for the beauty of their skin and, and just the richness. Like, I don't know how to explain it. Like the way that Ava's film is so rich looking, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's not necessarily film stock because, you know, it's digital, you know what I mean? But just that attention and paying that type of. Yeah, I feel that. I'm like, and I feel like I get a lot of that in Ottawa. I think that's an underappreciated element of it is being able to see the totality of these folks. You know what I'm saying? And being mm-hmm. able to see, you know, how beautiful, like how beautiful black folks are. Like, fine down here. You know what I'm saying? Right, son. <laughs> yeah. Here. Let me be right. So I just thought that that was. I think. I think I agree. I mean, I don't. I don't think. Like I know I agree with you on that. Is that you know the the attention to detail and what comes on screen is so so important. Um, and for directors and folks to pay attention to that is, is you know, that's always a good sign, right? Like, I mean, like Ryan Coogler comes to mind for that too. You know what I'm yeah. saying? And so does Issa Rae too and Barry Jenkins. Yeah, Issa Rae, uh, yes, yeah. yes. Moonlight, oh my God. 
Yeah. Beautiful. I mean, like, not even just the story, just the way that it's shot. Like the first Gorgeous. time I saw Moonlight, I was on a I was on a flight the first time I watched it. And I was like, damn, I should have watched this shit. Big screen. Big screen. You know what I'm saying? I was just like, Lord, it just it was it was beautiful. It was yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm with you. I'm sorry. I just no no no, it's cool. Like I went on a tangent a little bit. <laughs> No, it's all good. That's, that's 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 what we're here to do. Yeah, like the, like like the first time I saw Moonlight, I think was in the theater. Yeah, yeah. No, I uh, I screened it um at a festival, like oh, right wow. when it came out, and it was just like and and Gorgeous. watching it watching it now, it's um yeah, watching it now, like even on like a really nice TV, like that's the kind of movie that you could it, it like, like like it would help to watch it in a theater, but like if you're watching it on like a big screen with like a nice picture, it's mm-hmm. gonna look amazing. Like amazing. Uh, and mm, I like there's a handful of scenes that come to mind, but like there's like one of like little Chiron in the water that always gets me. It mm-hmm. looks beautiful. Um one of the the last scene where um Chiron and Kevin are like looking at each other in the kitchen and like there's yeah. just this like this is just, just this unsaid longing between the two of them and like and like fucking Chiron just goes like you're the only man who ever touched yeah, me. I was, like, son. Like, I was like son. I was like son. I was like I wasn't ready for that. Like I was, yeah. I was like the only one. Oh honey. Like, <laughs> he 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 broke down and I was just like and, and like and like and like it looked beautiful like you could see like his gold fronts like the whole time I was like oh like they, they just it's it, it it to me personally it really might be a perfect movie i was just talking to my boy caleb about this on the podcast last week so i'm happy we're talking about it again it's just i i i, I can't say enough good things about moonlight uh, that thing is beautiful that thing is beautiful god but to um um but to kind of uh, or to go back a little bit further um to kind of tie it in with chronicling stangonia um yeah. like so, so like as you begin to develop your musical tastes and like your film tastes like when did you decide that you wanted to write about and teach about the culture of southern hip-hop and just like and really just the south in general because you know yeah um so i the first time i taught anything southern hip-hop was 2013 um it was a unit in my pop culture classic at kennesaw state this is when i was uh adjuncting i wasn't you know where i am now uh, right but um, it was American pop culture classics on hip hop in general. And I was like, I want to do a section on, on Outkast in Southern hip hop. So there was that. And it was just a lot of fun, you know what I'm saying? And being able to, you know, talk to students, you know, because Kennesaw 30 minutes north of Atlanta on a good day. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you know, as, as somebody who, who grew up listening to Southern hip hop, you know what I'm saying? And having students who who, who grew up listening to Southern hip hop, not saying Southern hip hop, but I mean, like, you know, it was, there was definitely a connection there. Right. Um, students were more invested, you know what I'm saying? So by the time um, that I actually was working uh, full-time in Savannah, um, you know, my chair at the time was like, you know, is there a class that you want to teach in special topics? And I'm like, oh yeah, I want to teach a class on Outcast because I was still writing Chronicles Stankoni at the time. And, you know, one of the secret power moves for a lot of academics like myself is you teach what you're writing to stay on top of your, your game. Um, so I was like, let me just teach this outcast class. And, and folks were really excited about it. And then it went viral, which I was not ready for. Um, and I've been teaching it permanently since like 2017. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> uh, every time I'll be like, if I'm teaching, you know what I'm saying? Every, at least at Kennesaw, I teach it the outcast class every spring semester. Um, and, and 
pre-Pangea, we would watch Idlewild uh, in class and talk about it. Um, but you know, it was it was the parallelogram outside, so I wasn't able to really engage students uh, the way that I wanted to, right? Um, but the next time I do teach the class, you know, Idlewild is right back up there. But I mean, like it was it was an it was an ability for students to see, you know, that Outcast wasn't just rap; like they continually continuously evolved. Um, and 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 believed in their craft enough, and believed in their sound and brand enough that they were like, we can carry a whole movie, and they did. Right, and like, and and like you've already, and, and you mentioned a couple of times that you had been working on the idea for chronicling Stankonia for a while. So like, when did so like when did that first start? Like, when did you think like I want? And and, and, and you know, like of course, like for anyone listening, like this is this book is about so much more than just Outcast. Like Outcast is kind of like the it's like the anchor, but it just like you go Gina goes through so <laughs> it just like explains how she just like really gets at the root of what of what Southern culture is to her and just be, a, a, anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm gushing. Tell me, tell me about when the idea for the book came. <laughs> um, so uh, in 2014, I did a series of conversations called Outcasted Conversations. They're still on YouTube if you want to check them out. Um, and I was talking to other academics and journalists and, and, you know, I got a couple of really cool interviews in there. Like I, well, uh, I interviewed Mr. DJ who was uh, Outcast official DJ and also their hey. partner for Earth Tone 3. Um, and then DJ Jelly who literally broke elevators. I think it was like over Memorial Day weekend. <laughs> oh, wow. That's spooky. <laughs> yeah. And was like, um, and, and LaFace at the time, they didn't want elevators to be the lead single for that, but they kind of went behind LaFace's back and was like, yo, let's, let's play this. And folks lost their, I mean, like the rest is history. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So being able to talk to folks about Outkast's influence, you know what I'm saying? Talk, I mean, like to do like what we're doing now is like, you know, fan out, right? We're like, yeah, this is it. But I mean, like when I really started thinking about the type of interviews that I was doing, it was um, pointing to this need to have a deeper conversation outcast is significant not only just to hip-hop but to the south you know what i'm saying um they made so much room for us to experiment and what it means to be young and southern and black and creative you know what i'm right. saying um so it was 2014 after after i ended the the, se the season the series well, i didn't need the series but it was the season uh i thought it was only gonna be, be like you know no more than like 10 interviews um on google hangout and i would edit very lightly edit it and then put it on my little youtube channel well it ended up being 40 episodes it was a long ass season uh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of work and um you know the unc press the university of north carolina press um reached out and was like hey what are you working on and i was like yeah i'm thinking about this book on outcast um and they were like oh we want to hear about it so i like pitched my book to to UNC Press and they gave me a contract for it in 2015. And um, the next year I was at Harvard uh, as a NAS fellow working on working on the book. Um, so yeah, it's six years. I've been working on this thing for six years and it's just coming out now. And I'm just so glad it's out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so six, six years is a long ass time to like put anything yeah. together, but like, especially a book and like, like I can tell that you put a lot of thought and care into how, into just how you like brought like it because because like this isn't because like this is like really it's lofty shit you're talking about like you're not just talking about like the group's impact on you as a person like you're talking about its impact on like an entire culture yeah. and like how it's informed you know like that that's that that shit takes time it's you know you can't just bang that out in six months you know <laughs> like at least not well. 
Like, I mean, <laughs> I didn't want nobody coming for me. You know what I'm saying? Like that right. was the thing that I kept having in the front of my head was like, you know, I have friends who aren't academics who love Outcast that I want them to read this book, make it readable. You know what I'm saying? I wanted them to read it um and kind of just see like this is like a love note you know what I mean I mean outcast is such a significant part to how we understand the culture um and I was starting to see people were trying to take the south out of outcast and I'm like no 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 what we not gonna do <laughs> <laughs> I know that's right gonna do. um and I just wanted to kind of prove that and as I was grappling with that it made me kind of realize like yo like you know they really were the blueprint they were the blueprint. Um, not saying that they were the first, because they were not the first Southern artist group. Right. Um, but they were the first to pay dues for the South in front of all the hip hop. You know what like, I mean? That yeah. Source Awards moment is such a pivotal moment. It's the battling cry. You know what I mean? It's the rallying cry. It's like, oh, okay, yeah. we got something to say. Bit, and we ain't looked back since. He said we got something to say, and we were like, shit, yeah, we got something to say, and been saying <laughs> it in multiple ways. And <laughs> right things. yeah man so that was just you know, and then like but the thing that trips me out is, is like folks are like well what about all the other groups outside of outcast i'm like that's somebody else's book that ain't my book and then you know i'm from georgia i'm from south georgia right. <laughs> why wouldn't i why wouldn't i write about the cast you know what i'm saying um so you know <laughs> right no nah, no nah, absolutely and 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 yeah like i could tell like your personal connection to them regard like regardless of when it started like it's it's like it's passionate and it and and, and like it really comes through and i want to um there were actually a couple different parts of the uh, like a couple different like a couple smaller parts and then one kind of big chunk that yeah. i wanted to address before yeah. um, before we move on too much so like so like one of the first things so you um so so you mentioned um you mentioned AT aliens a little earlier in this episode and um two dope boys in a Cadillac was the first song from that album that I ever heard um mm -hmm. a friend of mine when I was um a friend of mine in school she like sent me the song and that and she was like this is my favorite Outcast song and I was like oh words so I listened to it and like that was my intro but like like I heard that before elevators I heard that before any song like that was my one where I was like this is this is fire. Like, and you mentioned um, um, in the book, you mentioned how um, you mentioned the concept, like you said before, with them, um, with them renaming Atlanta, um, um, Atlanta to Atlantis and moving it around. And then like the whole, like one thing that really blew my mind, like not, not, not really being uh, like grown at that point was like the fact they put out the comic in the CD. Cause yeah. I've never seen that in person. Like that was uh, really like, no, no, I've I've never seen it in person. Like I, I've always wanted to. Like like since I heard about it, like 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 you weren't the first person to put me onto it, but like I've just never seen it. So like hearing you tell me the story, like uh, like, like knowing the story behind it now, I mm -hmm. was like, damn, I really like need to find this. So like for you, like like what was it like, kind of digging through that album in particular? Because it feels like this and Equemini were two albums that you focus on like really explicitly in this joint. So like what was it like, kind of? digging through AT Aliens? Um, so it depends on what day it is, which one is my favorite. Today is the <laughs> day, day, and I'm leaning towards AT Aliens being my favorite for today. Uh, mm -hmm. Yesterday, it was Quimini. Uh, but, but, you know, those, are, those were my two for real introductions to Outkast. Um, but also, they were a big part of my, the soundtrack and me transitioning into being Southern. You know what I'm saying? So there's that yeah. aspect. So I'm like, there's a lot of sentimental value in that. But also, I mean, just the way that it um, 
it was presented. You know what I'm saying? Um, I remember I remember looking at the comic when I was younger um, because, you know, what I'm saying like, you know, CD books, you put the little, you know, you put the CD cover in the, in the booklet, you know what I'm saying? Um, and a lot of folks, that was part of their they thing. So I would be nosy and kind of just flip through it, you know, be like, oh, this is cool. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's like, it's cool that Outcast was some nerds too at the same time. I was like, y'all, okay, so we're going to do the comic book thing. That's I, I, check, right? Because I'm, like, I'm a comic book nerd too, you know what I'm saying? Um, I love it. Uh, nobody believes when I tell them my favorite comic is ElfQuest by the pen. <laughs> that's that's favorite. fire. Yeah, it's my favorite comic ever. But I mean, like being able to see like they were able to translate, you know, their dopeness into various mediums, right? That the idea to be able to be um, experimental, and then you get something like Aquemini, uh, where they break all that shit apart. They're like, okay, y'all trying to get us to just hold on, hold fast to these these basically these formulas of how you expect us to act as outcasts. And they were like, nah, we're gonna get rid of all of that. And then start from scratch. So it's like, they're, we're ending in one era, so to speak. And then when we get to Stankonia, I mean, they completely started over, so to speak. Um, so I just thought it was really cool to be able to, to document that. But I mean, like, I wasn't really able to put it into, you know, nice words for a book until after graduate school. Because I mean, like I had been listening, I've been listening to Outcast damn near my whole life, right? So it's like, it's not like I'm not familiar with it, but right. I was like, oh, I think I actually want to, you know, critically engage. Um, I started reading it different, you know what I'm saying? I, I, I was like, okay, so I start, kind of started with, you know, the things that stood out. So, I, so the comic book stood out for me. I was like, oh, um, and not just reading it because I thought it was cool, but actually looking at what they were actually saying, you know what I'm saying? So like, um, you know, Big Boy said that one of his superpowers in the comic book was to turn into a Black Panther. I said, like, oh, well, Kel put him in conversation with T'Challa. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then, you know, graduate school training kicked in and was like, oh yeah, by the way, there's also the Lowndes County uh, group for defense that had the Black Panther as the symbol. Um, and folks like, oh, you trying to read too deep into it? I'm like, no, y'all don't give them enough credit. They had to do a lot of reading for a lot of this shit to make sense. Uh, they were talking to somebody, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. They're listening to something, you know what I'm saying? So um, just being able to to theorize, right? I think that's one of the, my favorite things about being a literature and culture scholar is I get to just theorize. It doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, I have to make sure the facts are accurate, but I mean, like what right. I do with those facts, I get to play around with a little bit. So I'm like, you know, I did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And yeah, that's the best. Like that's that, you know, you know, like it's those, it's those little details that make something like this. So, so readable, you know, like, you know, you know, like people are coming for the facts, obviously, but like you putting your perspective in there, like, like you, like there was a section in the Equemini section of the book where you kind of like break down the meaning of like heroes at the end of the first verse of the title track. And like, that was, and like, that was one of my favorite moments in the entire book. Cause it's just like, it just like opened my mind to like how, like how that song operates. So like, so yeah, like talk to me about that song and kind of like how you broke down that entire thing. Cause it was, it was really, it was really something. I, I mean, I, I was thinking about, you know, what I thought the overall theme of the album was, which is kind of like, it was almost like a memoir. You know what I'm saying? It was like, we've made it. This is what it looks like. This is how we made it. Y'all expect us to do these particular things. Um, but I mean, like, you know, when they say that when the hero, you know, the heroes eventually die, I'm like, damn, you know what I'm saying? Because in the South, we hold on so tight to, you know, our, our legacies and our, and our past, you know what I'm saying? And the civil rights movement is such a huge part of that. 
um, that we we don't easily give up the MLKs and you know the Ambassador Youngs and the John Lewises. You know what I'm saying? Um, if they're not here physically, then their legacy is definitely still a part of that. And Outcast asked questions that a lot of us younger Southerners were asking, like, well, when do we let go? Right? Um, if we let go, how does that make room for us to actually ask questions about how those type of legacies are impacting our our now experiences? Like, we we can't. You know, I remember. Andre is saying something about being wary of being nostalgic. You know what I'm saying? Um, and if the South is is nothing else, we are <laughs> headquarters for nostalgia. <laughs> um, you know, depending on who you're talking to, right? Um, right. So, I mean, like, you know, being brave enough to be like, you know, the heroes eventually die, right? Is is themse- giving themselves permission to move on, move forward. Um, and I feel like a lot of civil rights leaders, that's what they want us to do is to move forward. Um, and sometimes moving forward means that you have to let go of, of the past. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, just being able to connect those things together. I was trying to make sure, like the biggest, I feel like that outcast chapter is, was the hardest chapter for me to write. Outside of me writing about my dad's death in chapter four. Right. Um, but it was hard for me to write because I didn't want to, I didn't want to redo the wagon, so to speak. Like, you know what I'm saying? There's so many amazing journalists who have written extensively about outcasts from David Dennis to Charlie Braxton to Joycelyn Wilson, you know what I'm saying? So it's like there, that, that work had already been done about reviewing the album. Like my, my anxiety was that it would just read like, you know, this was in this album and this was in that album. So being able to connect the dots in terms of making sure I showed how they were evolving this idea of black southernness um yeah maybe you want to throw my computer a couple times you know what i'm saying uh, <laughs> so it, it it brings me great joy to hear you say that it actually makes sense and it doesn't read like just a extended album review like i really wanted to grapple with what these albums were doing and even going back and looking at it and i think this is just a writer thing you know what i'm saying i know you feel me on this it's like you read some shit you put out there and you read it and you're like you know what I should have wrote about that. Or I should have extended yeah. this, 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 and this. So it's, it's, it's a dangerous road to go down. You know what I mean? But yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I think that that revision thing is really, really important. Um, so, but being able to revisit these things that I still love, like I still love listening to Outcast. Like that's not, that hasn't gone anywhere. Thank God. You know what I'm saying? Some folks write about their favorite group and they never want to hear them again. <laughs> you know what I'm right. saying? <laughs> um, I'm not in that boat. I'm not in that boat. So it's, but being able to listen. And even now when I listen, I'm like, I should have wrote about that. I should have, I should have. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's constant, you're constantly in your own head. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's like, it's like, um, um, it's like Fonte said, like, you know, like people see you and put you among the greats, but I look back and all I see is mistakes. Like that's, that, that's the realest shit I've ever heard in my I life. Mean, like, like, even, <laughs> yeah. It's like, even the greats like Toni Morrison, like I was watching the Toni Morrison interview and the guy was asking her about the bluest eye. And she was like, yep, that's a mistake. That's, and he's like, what mm. there? And she's like, ah, I could have done that better. I mean, like, I'm the same way. Like, I'm like, I, <laughs> I'm trying to work on like celebrating the wins, but at the same time, I'm like, do you see this in the wind? Like this could be, this could be sharper. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's yeah. a constant struggle. You know, as, as a, as a fellow writer, I know you feel me on this. It's like, damn it. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> like it, it's like, it's healthy to have a little bit of that, but like, it's, it's like but only a little, like if, 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 if it gets to be too much, then it just turns into self-sabotage and that, and, and, and like, that's mm-hmm. never good. Like, yeah. like, like reading, like reading the Zora Neale Hurston book that you recommended I buy in Tulsa and just like yeah. seeing how she, and just like seeing how she managed to tie all these 
or, or like not tie everything together because they're all like different stories but like there was uh there was one that really stuck like there were two that stuck out to me there was the one about there was one about the woman who was living with her husband and then she let him get bit by the snake yeah and um and and, and then you see him then he's just like out in the yard like like dying from venom and she's just and she's like, bed, like mm, let me do this yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like she, she, she yeah like like just the way that she kind of like just like seeing how she's able to bring like real life in like just like ha- have mm-hmm. life leap off the page and then that little like folk tale she told a little later on where um it was it, it was something about like the river and the stars and oh i can't I'm, I'm blanking on it but like seeing her manage to like have these physical things leap off the page the way she did mm-hmm. and then imagining that she would probably like if she were alive today she'd be looking through that book and be like nah i could have done that better it's just like damn like really like 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 of course we're gonna look at someone whose work we think is amazing and just mm-hmm. be and see and not see nothing but greatness but like really want to amplify that but you know it's like you said you just get in your own head and it's you know, like that, that, that's just the eternal struggle of being a creative, whether you're a writer or a musician or a film director, like, that's just like, 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 that's the price of admission, mind yeah. you. Like, that's, that's, that, that's just it. <laughs> I mean, that's it. I mean, I don't know what else to say after that. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Man. And, um, and kind of going back to this whole, um, idea of heroes and uh like and like redefining and recontextualizing things one of um another one of my favorite chapters in the book is the section where you talk about um film and um uh hip-hop and slavery in slavery media like just like the way because i remember when i first saw Django, and Mm. i felt like like anachronism wasn't new to me at that point but like Mm -hmm. especially when you especially when it comes to somebody like quentin tarantino but you know like hearing him pick a rick ross song yeah. to have hearing him pick the devil is a lie specifically to have Django ride out to is like because like I think that might have been like the first time he had ever chosen like a modern like at that time a modern rap song for a movie because like, like he doesn't he, he he usually goes with like older older like more like rock and jazz oriented yeah, he stuff and then the he was just like vacation thing because he said right. that's such a huge influence on him but yeah and, and mm-hmm. yeah and then he, and, yeah and then he was just like boom Ross and I was like whoa like so like so like um like what about that like yeah like what about that dichotomy what about that anachronism was so interesting to you that you decided to dedicate an entire chapter of the book to it because usually when you think about Tarantino you think about the you know exaggerated violence right like it's it's you know it's not a Tarantino film unless somebody's getting his head cut off or split open and right gobs and gobs of blood you know what I'm saying and I was kind of expecting that going in, right? Um, and when, you know, in that particular scene, I mean, if you ain't seen Django by now, you just out of luck. So in the, in the uh, come on. Scene, you know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, you have this runaway, you have a runaway slave who was a, who was a Mandingo fighter, so to speak. And he said he was just tired of fighting. And, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio, I don't know, I, I felt he played that role a little too well. Mm. <laughs> um, and was like, oh, you don't have to fight no more. And then, you know, the, the camera pans out and you hear this man being shredded to death by dogs. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Um, which fits the bill with how you would think a Tarantino film. You thought you would see that shit on, on screen and be like, oh shit, right? Yeah. But the oh shit factor happens because I didn't see it on screen. All I did was hear it, which fucked with my mind even worse than if I actually saw it. Because you hear this man being torn to dogs, you hear the snarling dogs, you hear the tearing of the flesh, 
you hear the slave patrollers are laughing and, and, and it sounds like they're getting off a little bit. Like, I'm not even gonna lie. Yeah. You know, you're just like, what? And then it's like, you also hear Ross's 100 black coffins. And you're like, what? Wait a minute. Like, it was, it was almost like it was a, <laughs> it was a palate cleanser. But it was also like it was a reminder, like, oh, okay, you know, this is this is this is still a, a make a made up thing. But I mean, like, but there was that very real possibility that this happened to somebody, that somebody has been torn apart by dogs because they were running away. You know what I'm saying? So it was, it was, I mean, like it made me think about it. And then I also think about like, you know, when I'm starting to call the Misha Green effect, um, mm. which is, you know, her taking contemporary sounds, you know, music and using it in historical pieces, um, it, it throws you off, right? But it also, you know, for me, it made me pay a little bit more attention to why this is such a big deal. You know, before Lovecraft Country, she was doing that in Underground. Yeah, um, right, which you very, also mentioned in the book. Yeah, like the very first thing that you hear, like ever on the series is Kanye West, Black Skinhead. And I'm like, wait a minute. Right. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. I mean, you see you see all this Hodges character running through the brush and, and you know what I'm saying? Um, but the part that's most powerful about that scene is when he can't breathe for himself, he's literally like trying to breathe into his, his shirt so that you don't hear him breathing. You hear Kanye breathing in the back. And I'm like, wow. You know what I'm saying? Because we don't, we never, we're not gonna, we don't have any footage of that. Like we don't have any footage of this is somebody running away. We didn't know what it sounded like. You know what I'm saying? So it was, it was really a powerful intervention to blend, you know, visual and sonic um and in unique in different ways like it messed with me the first time i saw it. i was like how the hell are we gonna use kanye <laughs> <laughs> to talk about a, a run a, a runaway slave like okay but then when i actually sat with it i was like damn okay i can see this um and then you know to yeah it was just it was all the things like it was you know and then to see her you know i'll never listen to cardi b the same again after love cat country <laughs> yeah that, that that was that was i'm i'm not i'm not gonna lie that was that was that was one bit where i was like all right this is a little too on the nose like i'm not gonna say what happened i'm not gonna say where she uses it but i'll never oh yeah hear cardi b i'll never listen to it the same again but i was yeah, like nah. what them shits are bloody shoes for real. Like, I guess that's yeah. all I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah, that's all I'm I, I was yeah. like, oh, shit. But, yeah, so. Yeah, I, I was, because, like, I remember when I saw that episode of Lovecraft Country, and I was like, like, there were a few moments in Lovecraft Country, because, like, before I even get to that, music supervision is another extremely underrated aspect of any, mm -hmm. like, film or TV show making process. Like, having people there to know what music to use. Like, mm -hmm. like, um... Uh, already recorded music is like that's such a skill to have because like it really yeah. brings you into the atmosphere and like it gets, it sets the mood you know so mm -hmm. like but but like, but like that was one moment where i was like this is this is just too on the nose like it's too <laughs> it, it, it was like 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 it jumped like it jumped the gun from like terrifying to just like goofy and like i was i i was i was like this is just like i felt bad saying that too because i love I love Bodak Yellow, but I was like, this is just like, this is just kind of goofy. Like, <laughs> I feel like that was on purpose. Like, I feel like it was yeah. I mean, like, you, you're seeing this very violent scene happen, but then you're hearing like, you're like, wait a minute. I'm mean, like, it's almost like it's like that reminder. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, that that kind of takes away from the, from the terror of it. So, so uh, just cause, just cause I'm thinking about it right now, like Southern hip hop and film have a really interesting history together mm -hmm. outside of all of this. 
Mm-hmm. Um, how do, like how do you how do you think the more like you look like you look at things like uh, you, you look at more like glossy portrayals, like something like Hustling Flow or ATL or mm-hmm. Idlewild. Like 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 how do you how do you think the more glossy portrayals or something like that compared to more like the more like like earlier, like grassroots showings, like things like, you know, like stuff like Master P was doing with No Limit Films and like Birdman's like baller blocking. Like... How, how is it as advanced as I got the hook up? Um, it's still like one of my favorite masterpiece songs ever. I love that day though. Wow. Uh, I mean, I am who I am. You know what I'm saying? Um, there's there's that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like the budget has changed. You know, Master P was definitely all about keep it in house. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, you know, we we put the money into it, we get to keep the money that comes out of it, type thing, right? It was it was a business thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, like as folks kind of realize the South and hip hop is where it's at, you know what I mean? Like they're starting to be, they're like, oh, okay, so these, this isn't just a flash in the pan. Like these folks are going to be around for a while. You know what I mean? Um, being able to put that on film introduced larger audiences to what those aspects of Southernness look like um, as they related to hip hop. But I also think, you know, going from a, a hustle and flow to an ATL, you know what I'm saying, um, shows that everybody's not the same. Like the hip hop doesn't manifest in the same way, depending on where you are. So I think that that, that kind of re-emphasizes that thing because you know you have ATL in, I'm ATL in, you have ATL come out, right? Um, and you have Big Boy, like Big, this is one of my favorite roles Big Boy has ever, like he played the hell out of this trap boy. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. He hit me in my face, my own goddamn money. <laughs> oh, disrespectful. Right. right? Um, and then like now on Twitter, everybody's using um, the, the I know, one. Like, I know who I think it is. Yeah, like <laughs> iconic, classic. Like. Right. So, I mean, like there's that aspect of it, but then also Big Boy is playing like this, you know, there's more of a, of a boutique piece, more of a historical piece where, you know, you're remixing this idea of the great depression and what that looks like using hip-hop right so i just think that it's it's such a rich avenue to be able to kind of see how hip-hop manifests in these different parts of the south and that unifying thread is the music it's the culture it's the way that we listen to the music it's the way that we engage on a regular basis you know what i'm saying um and being able to, you know, go go from there, um, and it just really kind of opens up, uh, you know, some of these other these other films that are coming out that might not necessarily be, uh, you know, at the top of the theater house, so to speak. But it still speaks to these experiences, and film is a way to share that with folks who might not be as familiar with the culture itself. Right, and you know, like, and, and, and like especially considering somebody like a Master P again, who like really like established such a foundation and like really turned no limit into like every like mm-hmm. there was like no limit records no limit films like he really like did all of that himself like he built that from the mud and like literally you know like mm-hmm. like people say that but like he really did that so um i just think that's important to note because like because like southern hip hop and film has such a rich history that mm-hmm. i feel like people don't talk about and and you know like you like look at you look at like going from like master p to 36 winning the oscar for it's hard out here for a pimp and like and like how big of a moment like beating out dolly parton's i'm like that was such a like that was such a moment so yeah i I, yeah like that's 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 interesting to me and like reading the book has kind of made me think about that a little more especially like like i just recently watched hustle and flow again and it didn't age as well as i thought it might have but like i Mm. just uh it just made me appreciate the general lineage more so yeah thank you for that (laughs) just a general (laughs) <laughs> um and then my very last question for you um like as 
<laughs> you just said earlier that you don't want to be that you, that you don't necessarily see yourself as a southern hip-hop historian but like as but like but like as a as a scholar and like someone who's you know like a child of the south and someone who kind of like represents it on a scholarly level and as and you know as as a southern hip-hop fan like forget the scholar like that's where the that's where it starts like as a fan yeah. like so so like how so like do you feel like how would you say the south's role in hip-hop in general has changed or like mutated in the nearly 30 years since outcast put out southern playlist of cadillac music um i would say that uh we're still proving that the south still got something to say um it's just changing a little bit we're in the digital south i think you know the role of social media and, and technology has has really drastically shifted what we think southernness is and what it's not um, which I feel like is part of, you know, part of that, that legacy that Outkast has helped to establish. Um, you know, and the other thing I think that's, that's important too is that I feel like we're doing a little bit of backwards uh, of reclamation, so to speak. And what I mean by that is, you know, being in the academy, uh, we're hella slow, you know what I'm saying? Um, you know, hip hop has been around for 50 years, but it's been studied in the academy for like 30, you know what I mean? And, and my book is one of the first ones to do Southern hip hop. So, you see, we're kind of still playing catch up. So I think we're in a really exciting moment where, uh, you know, I'm super excited that Southerners are documenting Southern hip hop. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not knocking folks right. who like Southern hip hop who's not from here, but it hits different. You know what I'm saying? It hits different yeah. when, when the folks who uh, came up in the culture or are actively engaged in the culture speak to the culture. You know what I'm saying? Um, and I also think it further proves that hip hop's not monolithic. The way that it manifests in the Northeast is different than it manifests in the South, on the West Coast, is different in the South or the Midwest. And I feel like we're at a moment now where we're putting all of those things together so that we can have a more lush conversation and also make sure that the story is told right. Like, I feel like as I get older, you know, as I get an older fan, you know, as an older fan, you know what I'm saying? I feel like, you know, I'm not the, the intended audience for a lot of these younger artists and I'm not mad at that. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I know my truth, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, but I do feel like I'm in that point of my career and also just as a fan that I'm like, okay, now it's time to actually make sure these stories don't get lost. You know what I'm saying? And I feel like uh, film and, and journalists like yourself and, you know, Yo and Christina, you know what I'm saying? Um, Shout out to Yo and Christina for real. Yeah, the, the my peoples, the my peoples, right? Um, <laughs> that there is an intentional um, positioning, so to speak, that, you know, you want these folks who are actually out here in the culture to record it. Yeah. Right? Um, because, you know, you don't want it to just be a fad. Like, that's one of the things that I worry about as a scholar is that there are a lot of academics who see these, you know, the interest in hip hop, right? And don't have any investment in it. So they're or just context like, oh. even. Like, or context, right. It's like, oh, okay, yeah. well, I just, I like that one song that I heard 10 years ago. So let me make a class around it. And you're like, like what? <laughs> it's so much bigger than that. Um, so yeah, I feel like, you know, as of right now, we're playing reclamation and we're building up the archive. Like, I feel like that's, that's what I want to leave, you know, leave y'all with is that we need to continue to build up the archive for the South from a Southern perspective. Um, because if that gets lost, you know what I mean? So much, will, so much else will get lost in translation as well. Totally. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, like I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up. Just that whole aspect of, um, just, 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 just like people from the area doing that work like regardless of what that area is but especially for the south like, like like you said it just hits different like you could tell like there's just like details you know you know like yeah. not every you know like not every writer is like a jeff weiss because like jeff weiss is somebody who can like 
he like it, it's it's like he's lived everywhere like he like writes about everywhere where oh, wow. where like to the point where you feel like he's from there like he writes mm-hmm. about chicago the way he writes about you know georgia the way he writes about los angeles where he's from but like not everyone's like that and mm-hmm. not everyone should be like that you know mm-hmm. like that's yeah that's just really important for sure yep. um gina yo I'm 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 sorry we got to cut this short, but thank you so much for even <laughs> taking the time. Me. This was fun. Oh man, this was it's it's uh, this was so much fun. And like yeah, especially since it's been a year and shit. Like since Tulsa, like wow, like thank you, th- thank you for everything you do, and um just yeah, I'm just yeah, like I'm just I just feel really good to like be your friend at this point, and just like you know like, like it's an honor to talk to someone who's like. Like, I want to meet your dad though. Like I want to kick it with your dad one time. Like I just want to kick it and just hear him talk the good shit about music. He seems so dope. <laughs> nah, we, nah, we'll, nah, we'll make that happen soon. I promise. I promise. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Shout out to y'all for making it this far. And shout out to all the black people listening too. Cause y'all really impeccable. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and tell a friend to come through next time. One. <laughs>